here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you for joining us on The Coolest Show. My name is Cross, and I am the producer of The Coolest Show. And I just wanted to first thank everyone for tuning in for another successful season. Uh, shout out to Rev Yearwood. Shout out to the team. Shout out to the staff. Everyone that uh, made this season successful. All of our wonderful guests. So we began season three, and we wanted to introduce our guests, our audience, to the concept of Black liberation and what that would look like. Um, We wanted to speak about thriving in the Black community, uh, climate, of course, uh, and just our culture and how they all intersect. We also wanted to spread awareness and bring light to issues that are going on around our country that are affecting our people. We spoke to Captain Coleman Flowers about, you know, the sewage problems that's going on in her uh, home of Alabama, Lowndes County. Just bring more awareness to that. We spoke to Justin J. Pearson and Miss Scotty Fitzgerald about the Bahia Pipeline that uh, was being proposed in Memphis, Tennessee. We also traveled to northern Minnesota earlier this year to speak with our friend J.D., and support the fight uh, for the Line 3 pipeline. It was so much going on, y'all. We also visited with our guests in the Louisiana, uh, Texas, and Ohio River Valley areas and spoke about petrochemicals and how these plants and pollution in these areas are affecting you know, folks and people that live in these areas, that work in these areas, that have to you know, pretty much survive in these areas. And, you know, we just got to hear from, um, like, Ms. Sharon Levine, who definitely, you know, has been a fighter. She lost her home, but was able to still, you know, make time and tell her story and just bring more awareness, uh, you know, to her situation and for other folks that are, you know, dealing with the same thing. So those are some of the things that The Coolest Show, um, you know, were able to bring to light this season. And so I just want to play some clips, you know what I'm saying? I just want to play some clips and let y'all... Um, here and just remind um, you all, um, you know, who we heard from, the, the the tone and the seriousness of a lot of these uh, catastrophic events that's going on in, in our in our country. Women of color have always led movements, but women never get the recognition. And I have, throughout my life, it's been the women that were the advisors who picked up the phone and called me. Um, even now, I, I, when I go to different communities, you know, and and amplifying the voices of people in those local communities so that our officials in Washington can know that this is not just a Lyons County problem, this is a nationwide problem. It's a technology issue that, that, that coincides with climate change. And we saw what happens when you ignore the infrastructure needs. We, we're seeing that play out in Texas right now. Mm. We when it with this this uh, series that we're doing with The Guardian, we're amplifying that. And we're also asking people to self-report because there are no clear figures on how many people are impacted by it. But the people that are reaching out to me are women. They're taking the lead and they're the ones that are speaking up when other persons 
have profited from what has happened, but think about it. They're the ones that have to protect their families oftentimes from from the diseases that could come about as a result of sewage running back into the home or sewage out on the ground. That was powerful from Captain Coleman Flowers. Now we're going to hear from Ayana Albertini Florent from Generation Green. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I kind of came up with the term environmental liberation, just like with, with my work in Generation Green, like we are so intersectional, like we're so multi-issue and we, all of us understand that, you know, like kind of like what I said, there's so many different factors that, come into play when we're talking about the black environmental experience, right? It's not just um, trees and animals and it's definitely, it's not even just, you know, hazardous waste facilities and locally unwanted land use. It's, it's literally like, it stems back like from a, like a, from in history um, and starts with, well, not starts, but you know, it definitely involves like, Slavery, subjugation, colonization, um, and a global exploitation along the way. Um, so basically, I just really wanted to re- like I really wanted to emphasize the radical nature of what like environmental justice advocacy and frameworks like can be instead of like a reform, a mostly reform based way of um, going about attaining environmental justice Um, because ultimately true environmental justice, which is why I scaled it up to say liberation, it just really can't be obtained through going through these oppressive systems um, and continuing to um, pollute anywhere and continuing to depend on um, capitalism, exploitation and honestly, white supremacy, which is the foundation of how this nation and really how this um, world operates. And that has been a major theme and a major topic uh, amongst us here at The Coolest Show is just how to dismantle systems, you know, how to how to have equality and, you know, just liberation for black folks, period. Um, we also spoke to Shauna Baker about energy justice. And so, and, and I mean, the thing that, that people often don't talk about in conjunction with energy burden is that these are the same communities that are more likely to live in, in the shadows of fossil fuel generation. Mm. So they're paying more of overall income to subsidize a system that is effectively killing them and shortening their lives. Mom. So, I mean, again, this is the energy system, things that people don't think about because it's invisible. Um, you know, we see the poles and wires but there's a structure that is operating that was created by law and created by policy choices. And what I've argued in my work is that these are choices. That means we can make other choices. And so, you know, I'm excited um, to begin to help craft a system that is more just. No, we're excited for that as well. Just a thought about that you were speaking, because we know that 68% of people of color, particularly black people, live near, live within 30 miles of a coal fire power plant. Um, and right. so what you're saying is that literally they're paying more for the system of pollution that is also giving them asthma and cancer and emphysema and stillborn deaths and all of that. So literally they're paying 
for their genocide. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So, that was uh, Shalana Baker and Reverend Yearwood. We also got the chance to speak to Reverend Michael Malcolm, and he gave us an ecology of liberation. How can I give more focus to the performance of worship and not pay attention to their practical everyday living? And we have given more focus to the performance of worship than we have to the practical everyday living of our communities that we live that that our worship centers or facilities or houses are centered in. Exactly, Rev. I mean, basically, he's just telling us how can we pay more attention to things that's going on outside of our community and not focusing on the things that's in our community. Um, you know, also, you know, we focused on you know, youth-led initiatives and campaigns and things like that. So we wanted to bring all voices into uh, our conversation and just show, you know, from young to old that, you know, you can be a part of what's going on. And it's not uh, a movement that's outside of your uh, of your uh, reach or outside of your, your neighborhood. It's right there. It's right smack dab next to you. And, you know, so we spoke to uh, Youth Versus Apocalypse and our sisters, Isha Clark and Anaya Butler, broke it down. You know, I haven't been in this movement for that long. I've been, you know, organizing for climate and environmental justice since like 2017. So it's been four years now. So I haven't seen that. But, you know, when I was coming into the movement or even before that, like I never felt connected to anything that was climate or environment related when it came to organizing, because it was always presented to me as something that was hella white and that you had to have a certain amount of privilege to be able to care about. And that is a narrative that has been crafted by mainstream media because that is who they cover. That is who they're attracted to. And Because of that, for so long, I really believe that the movement up until that point had just been a bunch of, you know, old white people. And that is not true. Like, that is not true. There has been environmental justice since maybe even before, you know, the first European colonizers touched the Americas and all in Africa and like all these other places like because that like that is when this like environmental terrorism started that's what colonization is about Ta- exploiting people taking resources like that's what this is i love it i love it i love it when the youth can you know express how they feel and join this fight join this movement um like i said before we were able to speak to Justin J Pearson um, earlier this season, we spoke to him a couple of times this season. We also had him on our radio show, Climate Friday, um, about the Bahia Pipeline fight that was going on in Memphis, Tennessee earlier this year. So our case against Bahia was actually going forward. Uh, and we believe that they don't have the right to use eminent domain. And if a court was to agree with our opinion that they didn't have the right to use eminent domain. It would have serious ramifications for Plains All-American and Valero, but also the fossil fuel industry uh, as a whole. And they're also hoping that momentum dies down, that people stop caring about this issue, that attention gets drawn elsewhere. Uh, But the reality is we're not going anywhere and we're going to be able to keep up pressure locally 
to protect ourselves so that we don't have to wait on something to happen at the state level. We don't have to wait for something to happen at the national level. And I do think that's going to be a paradigm shift in fights against pipelines into the future, that people aren't just going to be protesting to the president, but they're going to be near and, and, and connecting with their local officials who have a lot more power uh, than they think they might have to stop projects like this. And it didn't stop there. Um, there were many court cases going on. Uh, we spoke to John Boyd, who is the uh, president of the Black Farmers Association, about you know uh, court cases that were being tied up with black farmers uh, by white farmers and how they were trying to sue to you know stop funds from getting to these black farmers. This is unfortunate. White farmers just coming out and now suing black farmers. Break break that down a little more. Yes. I think to, to break it down is uh, they're filing these lawsuits to block monies to black farmers mm. and farmers of color. And I, I tell everyone that will listen to me, Reverend Yearwood, for me to sue you in court, I actually uh, I have some sort of hate and, and, and I'm angry at you if I sue you in court. White farmers are saying, mm. oh, oh uh, uh, they, it's reverse discrimination. That it's a new loan program that they can't participate in. They never tell the story that all the debt relief that was um, uh, told out over these de- decades that went to white farmers. They never tell the story that uh, primarily all the loans went to white farmers. They never tell the story that primarily all the subsidies went to white farmers. And we struggle to even statistically add up in any of those numbers where the top 10% in the U.S. Farm Subsidy Program, $1 million per farmer in this country, $1 million for a farmer in the top 10% uh, receive uh, subsidies. That means it's not a loan, people. You don't pay it back. $1 million a year. Black mm. farmers receive on average $200. Mm. $200 in subsidies on average in this country. Uh, payments went to to black farmers in this country. And here you have white farmers blocking us. Uh, And to me, it's a continuation of all the history I laid out for you. Slavery, sharecropping, Jim Crow, all these things are a continuation of me wanting everything, the white man, the white white farmers in this country. We want it all and you can't have any. And that's that's the bottom line here for people who who can't add this up. They're in court saying, we don't want them to get any of the money. Uh, that's what they've done by, by filing these uh, lawsuits in nine different uh, uh, states, uh, Texas, Arizona, uh, Wyoming, and uh, Tennessee, Florida, all of these states that are filing in favor, uh, are issuing uh, uh, rulings in favor of white farmers, uh, never take into effect the discrimination that we still takes place today, as I speak to you, and the historical uh, impact of, uh, of black farmers and land loss in this country. We also produced a Congressional Black Caucus bundle this year, and we were able to interview a few of our representatives. And here's a clip from uh, Representative Jamal Bowman. It's not about you know parliamentary procedure or decorum or what have you. At the end of the day, we got people dying in our streets on a daily day basis. That's right. And and that's the problem. So if that's the problem, how do we under, best understand that problem? And then what do we got to do to solve it? And it's not as complicated as we be making it. 
And, and that and that's why I think the general public remains frustrated by Congress and elected officials, because we throwing all this jogging out there, making it complicated. It's not complicated. Somebody hungry, you give them food. Someone's homeless, you, you give them a home. Someone is struggling with education, you, you educate them. Someone needs employment, you get them a job. Like, this is what we should be doing. And unfortunately, we don't do it uh, as efficiently or nearly enough. We also had the opportunity to interview uh, folks for our petrochemicals series um, in the areas of Louisiana, Texas, and the Ohio River Valley. Uh, here is a clip from Ms. Sharon Levine. She is a fighter uh, in the Louisiana area who... Uh, had damage to her home, but still, you know, was able to go to a family family member's house and, you know, conduct this interview and just tell her side of the story and her fight. Because I was told, you can't stop that plant because the governor approved it. I said, who is the governor? He's a person like like, like I'm a person. So we can, we can fight this. You can't fight the governor. <laughs> they only knew. That's the only knew. The governor is a human being, you know? We, we, we can fight the governor. The governor don't live in St. James. So how can he have the audacity to poison us more? Let him poison his his, his uh, neighborhood. So uh, that's what I was told. Oh, and they were so. The members of the, of the association that I was in, they didn't have any faith. They didn't have any courage. They didn't have any strength. They didn't have anything. Just was sitting up there having a meeting once a month and telling everybody what's going on, what chemicals coming in, what chemical plants coming in. And they would tell us, they, they would give us updates on what was going on. But one, one lady could hardly breathe. She had cancer. And she, we can't fight the plant. I said, I guess not if you're sitting up here sick. Mm. Wow. So yeah, with that, uh, we also uh, spoke to our good friend JD uh, with the Stop Line 3 protest um, that we uh, visited earlier this year in northern Minnesota. Uh, yeah, I feel like Enbridge is, you know, is all the things that are colonization, like, at their worst, you know? Like, Enbridge is, you know, peak capitalism and just, like, destruction of everything that, like, we actually need for profit. Um, just, you know, the entitlement to, like, tear through our territory. Um, you know, the entitlement to, like, the things in the earth that, like, extraction at that scale um, would be allowed. Um, just, like, an embodiment of patriarchy and just 4,000, um, 5,000 out-of-state workers, mostly men, like, flooding into our small towns near our reservations. Um, these projects, like, bring, bring an increase uh, likelihood that women and children on the reservations go missing. I think you're twice as likely to go missing if there's a pipeline project in your area. Um, and like, I feel like that's talked about a lot, but there's like the very real, uh, it's like really real for us who are here. There have been two um, stings since active construction where police broke up um, some child trafficking that was happening. Both of those cases involved Enbridge workers. Um, so it's like, you know, this should we talk about, excuse me, um, the stuff we talk about, it's like, you know, it's not hypothetical. It's not philosophical. Um, <clears throat> this project is like also just like a real threat to our bodies and to our way of life. The Coolest Show has been a part of many, many, many fights this year. And, you know, going into next uh, season, season four, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing awareness, we're bringing solutions, we're connecting, you know, uh, resources 
to folks that who need them. We also had a great conversation with EPA administrator, the first black uh, male administrator, Michael Regan, and he shared with us his journey from the campus to the cabinet. We are leveraging to bring black and brown people to the table and young people to the table. It's, it's my belief that if they cannot see themselves in our vision, then we won't be able to execute on that. Uh, I've also hosted roundtables with presidents and chancellors and executives from HBCUs all across the country to help me understand how do we get more black and brown uh, folks in the pipeline, but also on the research and development side, how can, how can EPA help uh, drive grant dollars towards these institutions so that they can help us solve these complex problems? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a coexistence, right? I mean, we're here to provide protection to the public, but we also want to hear from the public on how that should be done. So we're trying to do that in the most diverse way possible. And, and I'm really proud of what we've done so far, recognizing we got a whole, more, a whole lot more work to do. The Coolest Show continues to have the real, real conversations, y'all. And we're not going to stop. We're going to keep uh, diving in. We're going to keep, you know, asking the tough questions. We're going to keep putting the spotlight on our folks, on our people, uh, we want to keep meeting folks at their entry point into the climate movement. And like I said before, just, you know, show how this intersectional movement affects us all. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to The Coolest Show. On behalf of Rev Yearwood, our host, on behalf of the Hip Hop Caucus, and just on behalf of folks everywhere, thank you for caring, thank you for supporting, and we will see y'all next season. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Fake 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. You know.